Thank you for that great introduction. <laughs> I need a good yes man to follow me around and make me look that good. So. Uh, does it pay well? <laughs> it does not. <laughs> Whew. I gotta be honest with you, I'm a little nervous. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here before you, before my, my church family. Uh, I'm honored that our pastor thought enough of me uh, to allow me to share some things with you. The Lord showed me while uh, we were in Mexico last year in our uh, Puerto Vallarta during our mission trip, and just some other things that God gave me uh, since then. Um, and like Cody said, we were going to, to do this around Thanksgiving, Christmas uh, last year, but I got COVID. But uh, hopefully you came ready to listen and hear what God has for you. It's his word, so uh, I know it won't return void. So today we're going to take a look at a young man that God used to bring about tremendous spiritual change and renewal in the lives of God's people. Although he was young, uh, he did not let this deter him from seeking out, obeying, and serving the Lord. And for his efforts, his house was blessed, uh, the people he had immediate influence over were blessed, and the nation of Israel as a whole were spared for a time. Um, what you see here with him through his life is a revival unlike one we've ever seen in modern times. Now, if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to 2 Chronicles 34. We're going to read the first 13 verses, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. All right, we'll start in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places, and the groves, and the carved images, and the molten images. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence. And the images that were on high above them, he cut down. And the groves and the carved images and the molten images, he break in pieces and made dust of them. And strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Naphtali with their mattocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. And when they came to Hilkiah the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites that kept the doors and gathered the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim, and all the remnant of Israel, and all Judah and Benjamin, and they returned to Jerusalem. And they put it in the hand of the workmen that had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they that gave it to the workmen that wrought in the house of the Lord to repair and amend the house, even to the artificers. And builders gave it to buy hewn stone and timber for couplings and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully, and the overseers of them were Jahath and Obadiah, the Levites of the sons of Merari and Zechariah, and Meshulam, of the sons of the Kohathites, to set it forward, and other of the Levites, all, the, all that could skill of instruments of music. Also, they were over the, burden, the bearers of burdens, and were overseers of all that wrought the work in any manner of service of the Levites. There were scribes and officers and porters. Whew, that's a lot, right? <laughs> all right, let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, just... I stand before you, Lord, knowing I'm, I'm no one. But God, I know you have a word for us this morning, God, and, and God, you spoke to me through it. And Lord, I'm praying that you take your word, God, and you speak to your people, God, that you get me out of the way, God, that you are glorified. And, and Lord, that it won't matter about my speech or, or, or anything that I can do, God. Do the work that only you can do so that you get the glory, God. Lord, speak to every heart. Thank you for every single person who came here this morning, Lord. It's not by happenstance. Um, Lord, you're in control of everything. We need you. God, I love you. Thank you for the blood of your son who cleanses us 
from all sin. Be with us now, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you see, Josiah, eight years old, and just to give you a little bit of insight of Josiah, Josiah was one of the last kings of Judah, uh, just a few hundred years or so, right before they were taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. He was the last, one of the last kings of Judah that did what was right in the sight of the Lord. You know, if you read through the kings, you read through the chronicles, you know, God gives you, uh, you know, accounts of all the many different kings who, who reigned over Israel uh, and Judah. Uh, some of them were good. Uh, most of them were bad. Um, and when you get to Josiah, he's just a young man. He's just eight years old when he takes the throne. But something happens in his life, and, and God does a work in his life. And we're going to explore that today. What I want you to know, first of all, today is God has a plan. And I know you all have blanks. You know, I wanted to keep up with Jay does. You know, I don't want to not give you blanks. I think he'd kick you out of church for that. And so God has a plan. And some of you are like, profound, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, God has a plan. Yes, God has a plan for all of humanity and this entire universe. But to condense it down more specifically, God has a plan tailored especially for you and for me. And it's geared towards transforming the souls of men and ultimately for his kingdom glory. Now, when God does something, you know, he makes the universe, when he makes people, you know, he never does things willy-nilly. He always does it for a purpose. Now, in 975 B.C., there was a king named Jeroboam, and you can read about him in the accounts of the kings and the chronicles. And if you know anything about Jeroboam, he was wicked. Uh, he was so wicked that God started measuring uh, the other king's wickedness by his wickedness. Most times, uh, kings were not as wicked as he was because he caused Israel to, to fall into idolatry. But there were a few kings who were, who were even worse. But during Jeroboam's reign, uh, there was a man of God who came to him and spoke to him. And he foretold of a young man that would be born who would rule in Judah and of some great things he would do for the Lord. In 1 Kings 13, 1 and 2, it says, And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense, and he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord, and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born into the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. So, through a man of God, in the audience of Jeroboam, God foretold of Josiah coming forth, Josiah wasn't born until 622 B.C., so you see in excess of 350 years, God was already thinking, plotting. I don't know if you want to use plot, maybe that's not the word to use with God. Uh, he was already planning out someone else's life. And you know, before you and I were born, you know, God already knew us. He knows the end from the beginning. He already knows what we're going to do. He knows where we're going to live. He knows our hang-ups, our habits. Uh, he knows what makes us tick. Uh, he knows everything about you because he's the maker and creator. In Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before, before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. You know, God says, knew you, sanctified you, set you apart, designed you for God's purpose. You know, brothers and sisters, I think sometimes we think, you know, I'm in this life all alone. Nobody cares about me. Uh, and if there is a God, you know, what does he want from me? Uh, well, brother and sister, I want you to know that there is a God. He does love you. He has plans for you, plans tailored specifically for you. But despite God having a plan, you have to seek it. And that's your next blank. You know, it says in 2 Chronicles 34, 3, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the Lord, after the God of David, his father. You know, too many times believers, saved people, you know, we treat our spiritual lives as something that just kind of, it'll happen. Um, and it's funny that we do that because we don't do that with any other thing in our lives. You know, I think about the fact that uh, when you want to go on vacation, you kind of sit down, you plan it out, you, you think about how much money it's going to cost you, where you're going to go, when you're going to go. You do it in advance. Uh, you know, we make budgets for purchases, uh, for things that we need. Uh, when it comes to education, for those of you who have children, you know, you're already, as they're getting up in ages, you're already looking around, you're researching what's the best college, what has the best program. 
you know, some of you, before you arrived this morning, you were already planning what you were going to eat for lunch after this. And some of you who probably tuned me out, you're probably thinking about what you're going to eat after lunch right now. But, you know, we make all kinds of plans. All of us do it. And in many times, in those areas, we count the costs, we assess the time, the resources, and then we execute it. But for whatever reason, when it comes to spiritual growth, so many times we treat our spiritual growth as if it's like fate. You know, some people actually believe that if you just show up here and there, you know, like this morning, you know, I believe the Lord can speak to you. Sure, the Lord can speak to you, and I hope he does today. And he can do a work in your heart and your life, but you have to be intentional. Um, anything you're going to do with the Lord, for the Lord, or the Lord doing through you, rather, it's going to have to be intentional. So 2 Chronicles 34.3 says that he began to seek after the God. And so, brother and sister, you have to come to that point in your life, too, where you begin to seek after God. You know, it's a conscious decision to do that. Um, you know, in our natural man, we don't want to do that. Thank God that really he came looking for us. You know, if, if you're saved today, I just want you to know that, you know, you were probably looking for a lot of things. What you were really, really looking for was God. But you were not going to God. God was coming to you first. And thank God he did that for us. But, you know, once you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're going to grow, if you're going to do things for him, if you're going to make a difference or have an impact on this world, you're going to have to seek him. And the Bible says he didn't just seek anything. It says he seek the God the God of David, his father. If you look at Psalm 103, it says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Uh, And so Josiah knew there is a God of David I have heard about of old. And he's he's done great things in this nation. You know, Josiah could see a great massive temple, um, Of course, it was overridden with idolatry and idol worship and all the things that God told Israel not to fall into. But he knew that David was a king in Israel. David had reigned. David had walked with the Lord. He loved the Lord. And it was just smart. Hey, maybe I need to seek this God of Israel. And I would encourage you today, too, if you haven't done that, you need to seek out to the God of Israel because he is the Lord. You know, we seek after a lot of things today, Um, entertainment, relationships, stuff. How important is it to you to seek the Lord, though? Ask yourself that this morning. How often do you seek the Lord? <laughs> when do you seek the Lord? You know, most believers fall into one of two camps. Uh, a, we just don't seek him. Um, and it's because of the last days we live in. It's really that culture of Laodicea uh, spoken of in Revelation. We're increased, we're rich and increased with goods, and we think we have nothing, need of nothing. And it's so true. When you look out, we're all blessed. We're, you know, this is Huntsville, Alabama. Um, you know, you can go get any type of food. You can get any type of entertainment. Um, you know, there's nice homes. Uh, it's booming industry-wise with, with jobs. There's so much here. And so many times we seek after those things, and we don't take the time to seek after the things of the Lord. So there's that Christian. And then there's the other Christian, which is probably where most of us live a lot of times. Is when we do seek him, it's not about him or his glory. It's about, Lord, I'm in trouble. Please get me out of this. Or, Lord, this is what I really want. That's what most of us do. But you know, you'll never know God. You'll never know what God has for you. You'll never be able to grow to be all he wants you to be if you don't intentionally seek after him and do it daily. If the only time the Lord comes across your mind is when you drive up on the 2905 Logan Drive, or, um, you know, you see some preacher on TV, you got a problem. You should be seeking the Lord daily. And why wouldn't you want to seek him? Jeremiah 29, 11, 13 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me, where you shall search for me with all your heart. And really, that's the issue. And with all of us, it's always the issue. It's our heart. You know, it's not good enough to merely know the right things to do, but we need to do them and do it for the right reason. You know, Psalm 119.2 says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. Why? Because, you know, as we saw in Jeremiah 29 a minute ago, you know, the Lord wants to give you an expected end. 
He wants you to call upon him. He wants to have a relationship with you. You know, sometimes when I stop and I think about it, I'm overwhelmed that the God of the universe wants to have a relationship with me. That he wants to talk to me. The Lord knows I am nothing. But he wants us to seek out to him and cry out to him with our whole heart. I want to encourage you to do that today. You know, he encourages us to seek him, but he also commands us in some places to seek him. In Isaiah 55, 6, it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Psalms 105, 4 says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. 1 Chronicles 16, 11 says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. It's so important to seek the Lord. And you know what? It even baffles him when we don't. In Psalm 14, 2, it says, The Lord looked down from heaven among the children of men, to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. You know, he's, he's like, I'm here. I want to talk to you. Why aren't you talking to me? You know, some of you say, yeah, Corbin, that's, that's just Old Testament stuff. Well, what about Jesus? In Matthew 7, 7, he says, ask and it should be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. There's, a, there's just something about seeking, guys. And really, that's where it all starts with you and me. If you want to make it with the Lord, if you want to do anything, if you want to know him, if you want power in your life, uh, if you want to be able to get through the hard times, because we all experience them, you're going to have to seek him. But it's not good enough just to seek the Lord, and you should. But when you find him, and you will find him if you truly seek him with your heart, but next, you have to make a turn. And see, Josiah, he was obviously going a certain way in his life. Now, when he became king of Judah, he was only eight years old. But it wasn't until he was 16 that things happened to him in his life. If you look at verse 2, it says, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father, and the twelfth year... He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. So here's a man who seek God, and when he realized who God was, he realized he needed to make a change. Now, he was only 16 years old, and, you know, that's, that's crazy when I think about it. You have a who essentially is a child, and he's over a kingdom. He's making decisions every day, and he's been doing things many, you know, Ways that are, you know, that oppose the Lord. He comes from a heritage of men who don't necessarily love the Lord. His own father before him was assassinated because he was so evil. And so at 16 years old, something happens to him. You know, he realized what so many of us who speak the name of Jesus today do not. And that is that following the Lord means you got to make a move. Mainly turning. Turning from some things and turning to some other things. And this always is a result of a change of mind. And this change of mind is known as repentance. Thank you. <laughs> if you know, if you look at another account of Josiah in 2 Kings 23, 16, it says that Josiah turned himself. And again, this is the key. You have to turn yourself. The thing about God is that, you know, he absolutely loves us. He knows what's best for us. He knows where we're up against. Uh, he wants us to follow his ways. But the thing about God is he really is the perfect gentleman. He won't ever force you or me uh, to do anything we don't want to do. He'll never force us against our will. So if we're going to turn, if we're going to seek him, we have to do it voluntarily. And it's a decision you have to make each and every day of your life. You know, your parents can't make you. And all the parents in the house today, man. You know, a spouse can't make you. You may not want to say amen to that spouse. Uh, Brother Jay, and I'm sure many other pastors, if you ask them, you know, they, they want you to. You know, and as bad as they want you to, they can't make you. This is a decision made personally between you and God, and it is made daily. And so repentance starts with a change of mind. You know, you can't serve God in idols. You can't serve God in people. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in self. You can't serve God in sin. You know, perhaps we best said this way. You can't have an agreement with the Lord and serve in sin. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. 
as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You know, Josiah understood that, hey, if I'm going to serve the Lord, I'm going to have to turn from some things. Do you realize that today? Have you thought about that? Do you really want to serve the Lord? Have you really counted the cost? Have you thought about the fact that you're going to have to turn from some things? Not only are you going to have to turn from some things, but you're going to have to turn to some things. You know, it's always the effort part of it that gets us. Um, you know, Josiah knew that he couldn't serve God in idols, and neither can you or I. And so he had to make some, some movement, and he did some things. So let's take a, a look at a few of the things that he did. First of all, what he did and what you and I have to do is eradicate your sin. In verse 3, you know, the Bible says that he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem. So what does purge mean? I'm not talking about the movie, kids. Purge means to take away utterly. It means to get rid of something, to leave no trace, to take it completely out. You know, in the preceding king's times, it was absolutely normal to build, utilize, and worship in high places in the groves. You know, people made carved images. They had molten images. They served all types of gods, Baal, Ashtaroth, uh, Molech, the sun, the moon, the planets. Um, these things were absolutely an abomination to the Lord. If you turn to 2 Kings with me, we're going to go through a few things here that, you know, we may not necessarily have high places or groves today. You know, that would be really weird if I came to your house and you had a, a grove. And we don't really make molten images. Uh, we don't carve things that we, that we pray to, that we ask, you know, to, to bless us or anything. But, you know, we do do things absolutely that, that kind of typify what the people in Judah were doing. All right. So 2 Kings chapter 23. If you look at verse 4, it says, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove and for all the host of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them into Bethel. And you can see here, Baal's altars and images are in the, in the temple. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of God? Is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? You know, it's kind of ridiculous to think that, you know, if you're saved today, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Why would you involve yourself with any type of idol worship? You know, the second thing you could see is that sins that are respectable are acceptable. You know, we live in a time now where everybody, it's all about our rights. And, you know, we live in a very politically correct time. And uh, lots of things have become respectable or acceptable that are absolutely opposed, you know, in opposition to the word of God. And you see in verse 8 it says, And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba and break down the high places of the gates that were in the entering in of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city. Here you have an entrance to the city where the governor of the city sits, a man of prominence. And in this entrance, he has idols to burn in incense. They have high places. There's idol worship. They're not respecting the, the Lord God of heaven. And, you know, some of us, maybe um, we do things that perhaps we figure, hey, it's not so bad because they're acceptable. Everybody else is doing them. I'll let you fill that in a blank for yourself. Verse 10, you see sins that are abhorrent. Uh, Topheth in the valley of Hinnom, where, where child sacrifice is going on. And it says, And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire to Molech. You know, it's funny. They were killing babies during the time of Moses' birth. They were killing babies during the time of Jesus' birth. And it's just crazy to me that in this day and age, we still uh, have some arguments over if, you know, innocent life should be taken. It's like we never learned from our, from our past. And, you know, it's, it's weird if you pick up a Bible and you just read it through, you see how man hasn't changed, God hasn't changed. Uh, people are still people. We still fall into the same sin. And yet the cycle continues. Next, you see sins that are generational. Uh, and these would be the kings of Judah. Again, Josiah had a, a father and a grandfather who were not good men. Now, his grandfather, towards the end of his life, came around to the Lord. But his dad, 
Ammon told you he was wicked. He was so wicked that people conspired against him and they assassinated him. And so there are those sins that are generational. And it says, And the altars that were on the top of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. You know, we all have uh, things in our, you know, our families, uh, things that are generational, things that we would be, wouldn't be proud of, uh, things that get passed down because maybe granddaddy did it or maybe big mom did it or whoever, an uncle. You know, God speaks of generational curses. You know, those things can persist. But it's up, up to me and you as saved people with the Holy Spirit of God living in us to cut those things out. And that's what Josiah did. Even though his dad made altars, he got rid of those things. Lastly, you see sins that are longstanding. And the high places that were before Jerusalem, in verse 13, which were on the right hand of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built, had built it for Ashtaroth. Now, Solomon had been uh, on the throne 400 years ago, previously. He's long dead. And the things he made were still there. And you know, sometimes we have that too. We have that pet sin or whatever it is that's it's been there for a long time. But you know, sin is kind of like a... I think it's called the cornflakes on a bowl principle. You know, the longer it's there, the harder it's, you know, it is to remove it. <laughs> Thank you. There wasn't even a laugh track behind me. <laughs> but you know what? That's the way sin is. The longer it's there, the harder it is to remove. And you know, king after king and person after person were born, lived, died, and they saw those things. And you know, when they were first there, there were probably some people who were like, this shouldn't be here. You know, Scripture tells us this, this is a sin. God doesn't want this. God proclaimed destruction upon this place. But as each generation went on, it became normal. And it's kind of like where we are today. You know, sin has ran rapid so, so much that things that used to be 50 years ago, you know, unheard of, now are just normal. Now, verse 15, what about sins done in the name of God? Jeroboam's altar in high place. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, had made, both that altar and the high place, he broke down and burned the high place and stamped it to small, to powder, and burned the grove. And these are the sins that we do in the name of God, but they violate God's word. See, Jeroboam, during his time, made himself a priest. He built his own altar. He made his own sacrifices. Uh, and those were things that the priests and the Levites have been commissioned to God to do solely. And you know, we do the same thing today. So many people do so many things in the name of religion, in the name of God, and they're very religious things, and sometimes they even look good, they sound good, but you know what? They're not things that God's asked us to do, you know? We're going to talk about it in a minute, but you know, who gave you the authority to do those things? And of note, in 2 Chronicles 34, 6, you can turn back to 2 Chronicles 34, it says when Josiah began to purge these things, it says that he did it in the cities of Manasseh, and Ephraim, and Simeon, unto Naphtali with their mattocks. And so he didn't just purge his immediate surroundings. He went throughout the cities and made sure that the sin was gone there too. And you know, you and I, we're good at doing that. We're good at getting rid of some things that you can see immediately, that other people can see. But then sometimes those things that other people can't see, that you know they're in the other cities, so to speak. Maybe they're at home. Um, who knows? People can't see them, and sometimes we don't purge those things. But God doesn't want you to do that. What he wants you to do is next, he wants you to eliminate your temptation. Now, the type of language you see used when he's breaking down things is break down, cut down, breaking pieces, made dust, burnt, beaten into powder. You know, Josiah made sure that the things that were besetting him they got rid of him so that they wouldn't be there to tempt him anymore. And, you know, it makes no sense to get rid of some things, but simultaneously leave the door open and still have them to come back. And so what you got to be smart to do, brother and sister, when you get rid of sin, remove those things that you know uh, may tempt you. For instance, remove the places of your sin. Verse 3 again. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. So it says he got rid of the high places and the groves. 
And biblically, in those times, if you didn't know, high places and groves were just places people went to do idol worship. Uh, Josiah removed these places because they were associated with sin. You know, maybe there's a specific time or place where your sin happens. You need to remove yourself from that. Maybe you know you shouldn't be alone. Maybe you know there's a place you shouldn't go to. Maybe there's a restaurant or a bar or maybe there's a friend or something of that nature. Ephesians 4.27 says, neither give place to the devil. Next, remove the objects of your sin. It says that Josiah got rid of the carved images and the molten images. So Josiah destroyed the actual carved and molten images that were the objects of his worship. The things that he adored, they had to be destroyed to ensure that sin would not return. And you know, we don't have the carved images again today, but you know, we have things like football, uh, men, if you're being honest sometimes, maybe you've dealt with some things like uh, lust, uh, you know, we leave things around and we know we can't handle them. You know, if you were an alcoholic or you grew up in the house of an alcoholic, you knew it would be foolish to have alcohol in your house. And people are like, well, okay, you know, Corey, I don't have problems with those issues. But what about the other objects of your sin? It could be a car. It could be your phone. It could be drugs. It could be all kinds of things. Anything that comes between you and the Lord can become an object of your sin. And if it's keeping you from him, you have to remove that. Next, remove the people of your sin. And this is the big one for us. In verse 5, it says he burnt the bones of the priests. So Josiah removed the idol priests. Josiah and the people were going to go right back to idolatry if the wrong people were there waiting to put them back into sin. 2 Kings 23.5 says, And he put down the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem. Them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun, and to the moon, and to the planets, and to the host of heaven. In 2 Kings 23, 20, it says, And he slew all the priests of the high places that were there upon the altars, and burned men's bones upon them, and returned to Jerusalem. So what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to kill anybody. <laughs> the last thing I want Jay to come back and, and hear is Corey said, you know, from the word of God that it was okay for me to kill people that were trying to make me sin. You don't want to kill people, but you do need to remove them from your life if they're being a hindrance. You know, maybe it's a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a friend, you know, an improper relationship there. Perhaps it's someone enticing you to do something you shouldn't do, whether it's alcohol or drugs. You know, if you hang around the same people who are your partners in sin, they're going to pull you right back in. Either they have to give their life completely to the Lord or you have to be mature enough to, to sever that relationship for good. And I know that's a hard thing to do. But Proverbs 13, 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. You know, you've probably heard that before. You are who you're, you, know, you hang around with. And that is so true. You know, they say, what is it, the, the five people you hang around, you're, you're probably a mixture of those. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, who is my peer group? Who do I go to? You know, who do I hang with? Who do I like? Who do I liken myself to? Next, you want to remove the secrecy of your sin. And that comes with public accountability. You know, when Josiah went out and he started purging Judah and Jerusalem, you better believe that wasn't in, that wasn't in secret. People saw that. You know, if you lived in wherever in Jerusalem at that time, and you were used to this big molten image being outside your door, and you walked out one morning, it was gone. And you looked around and you saw all the molten images were gone. You knew somebody did it. And Josiah made sure to do that publicly. And you know, sometimes we need to get that public accountability. But it's really important to get a personal accountability. You know, in verse 4 it says, it speaks of a they. And who are the they? In 2 Kings 23, 4 it says, they're Hilkiah, the high priests, other priests and keepers of the door. And you know, to many times Christians... We live in shame because of sin that defeats us because we don't open up to people who can influence us and who can give us encouragement and accountability. And I guess while Jay's gone, that could be my plug for discipleship. <laughs> but you know, that's what personal discipleship is. Not only are you taking a more mature Christian with a less mature Christian, uh, going through the word of God, showing them the ropes per se, 
but you also have that person you can be accountable with, that person you can pray with you, that person you can be real with and share things with. You know, I remember, um, you know, many, many moons ago when I was a young man um, in the Decatur Baptist days, you know, I had a few guys who were always intentional, and a bunch of us guys decided to do this, you know. You ask a guy, how you doing? You know, we do that here too, how you doing? But we went a little deeper than that. It's where you reading, you know. How's your prayer life? What's God, been, what's God been showing you in his word? What's God been answering for you? What's going on? Is there anything going on you shouldn't, that shouldn't be going on? You know, you don't hear people ask each other that nowadays. Most times it's the, the nice cursory, hello, how are you, and I'm fine, and that's it. But you know what? You really need to find that person. Find someone personally that you can be accountable to, that you can share your struggles with. Get an accountability partner. Contact them when you need help. You know, other Christian friends, uh, it doesn't always have to be your pastor. And believe me, uh, he has a lot to deal with. Um, find someone spiritually mature, someone you can, you can be real with. Okay, so after you stop the sin, you don't stop there. You need to do something else. You need to start with righteousness. What would have happened if Josiah would have stopped after removing the idols? He could have said, you know, I did pretty good. I got rid of all this stuff. Uh, but then, you know, what next? You know, how many times have you heard of an athlete or a politician or an actor or a musician or someone? You hear about them turning over a new leaf. You know, they sincerely want to change. Some of them sincerely accept Christ as their Savior. But the change is short-lived. Why does that happen? Well, you got to understand, your temple is corrupted by sin. Now, during Jerusalem's heyday of the kings of Judah, God took great care to say how his dwelling place should be laid out, decorated and revered. In Exodus 25, 30, he lays out all the details of the tabernacle. And he lays out this because he wants the temple to be a permanent place for him to put his name. And just the same, God has put his holy name on us today. And he requires perfect holiness from us. You know, God was ultra serious about the temple. Only certain people could enter the temple. They had to wash before they could enter. And the high priest was the only one who could go into the holy of holies. And to violate any of these meant that a person was in sin and you could be put to death. Now, believers are the temple of God today. And God is still ultra serious about his temple. It's not, a, you know, it's not one made with hands, but it's one made by the creator himself. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You know, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, he comes to live inside you, and you are, from that point forward, a temple of the Lord. You know, Josiah understood the physical temple was, was important, and the, physical, and the kings that were before him left it in disarray. You and I need to understand that our spiritual temple is important. And we don't need to leave that in disarray. And in 2 Kings 22.5, Josiah asks his men to repair the breaches of the house of God. Now, what is a breach? You know, a breach is a, just a break. It's a gap. There, there are things in the temple that need to be thrown out, things that need to be fixed up, and things that need to be replaced. If you look back at 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verses 8 through 11, God starts using some language here. He says, to repair the house of the Lord his God, to repair and amend the house. You see, repair, we all need repairing. Um, even when you're saved, of course, before you're saved, you definitely need repairing. You need the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. But even after you're saved, you know, maybe you have some damaged behaviors and some attitudes that need to be repaired. Uh, we all need amending. You know, it says they amended the house. You know, maybe we got some damaged relationships, some grudges or some hurt feelings because somebody offended us. You know, your relationship with God can't be right if a relationship with the, another person is wrong. In Matthew 5, 23 and 24, it says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. In verse 11 there, it says that they laid the floors and, you know, a floor is just a foundation. And, you know, sin damages your foundational beliefs and thoughts. It, it totally skews your worldview. And you need to go to God's word and let it define your foundational beliefs about this life, this world, right and wrong, your goals, and your authority. But next, if your temple is corrupted by sin, know that it is corrected by righteousness. 
In verse 8 of chapter 34, it says, when he had purged the land in the house. Now, you can't repair the, temp- the temple with all the sin in it. You must first remove the sin, but then you must do something else. Take some righteous steps. See, to be everything the Lord wants you to be, you can't remove the bad. You must replace it with something righteous. Ephesians 4, 21-24 says, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I love that God uses that language. You know, he always takes simple things to help us understand biblical truths. He tells you to put off some things. And so Josiah did that. He got rid of those things out of the temple, uh, those things that were, that were around the high places, uh, the items of idolatry. But then he had to put on some things. And you and I have to put on some things too, and that's a decision you have to do every day. God says, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You know, victory over sin won't come just by getting rid of things. You need to replace things. Next, what you need is righteous support. In verse 8 of chapter 34 of Chronicles, he mentions three men, Shaphan, Messiah, and Joah. And, you know, it takes community, and this is contrary to our culture's views on, you know, individualism and privacy today. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath another to help him up. You know, I wouldn't be where I am today, and I'm not that I've arrived or anything, but I wouldn't be where I am without people who love me, who keep me accountable, great leaders like Cody, uh, Colin, Jay, and so on. And you know, we all need that, that righteous fellowship and those companions, those people who work with us in service, so they can encourage you when you fall, so they can help you to keep going when things get hard. Next, there's righteous stewardship. You know, verses 9 through 10 talks about all the many resources that were provided to to fix the temple. You know, and Josiah had to overcome the temptation not to use those resources for repairing the temple. And you and I have to do the same thing today. You know, all of us are really rich and increased with goods. And we have to make sure we fight against using those things for the things that just consume our lusts. You know, God's given you plenty of talents, treasure, spiritual gifts. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you his word. You know, he's, he's provided you with immense treasure. How are you stewarding that? You know, one day we're going to give an account of all our stewardship to the Lord. We need to consider how we're using the things he's given us. All right, righteous service. And I promise you I'm going to try to wind it down here. You need to find an area of service. You know, our old man is self-serving. Our new man is and should be God's servant. You know, verse 12 of chapter 34 says, and the men did the work faithfully. You know, when you get involved, don't do it half-heartedly. Do it with all your heart to the Lord. Give him the best in whatever, you know, he places you. And there's plenty of things to do. In verses 12 and 13, it describes all types of service. There are bearers of burdens, scribes, officers, porters. You know, here we have so many things that we have needs in. You know, we have a clean team. We have usher greeter. We have the praise team. You know, there's, there's needs in the nursery. Um, if the Lord lives inside of you, serve him. Commit to get rid of some things, but then fill your life with some things, some righteous service. You know, the, again, the moment you receive Jesus and call on him to save you, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, making you his temple. After you remove your sin, after you repair his temple, you need to start the righteousness. Lamentations 4, 340 says, let us search and try our ways. And turn again to the Lord. And lastly, well, not lastly, <laughs> you need to set an authority. And brother and sister, this really is the crux of the matter. The issue of authority comes down, you know, to everything. And it comes from the beginning. You know, Satan wanted to, to be like God. Uh, Adam and Eve, you know, they didn't want to listen to what God said. He told them not to eat of the tree. And the thing that was questioned was his word his authority. And in a day and age where there's no shortage of opinion, you know, whether it's in print or online or just outside on the corner, ask yourself, what's my authority? 
You know, what am I basing my decisions on? Conventional norms, tradition, what's popular? You know, Josiah lived in a time where it was absolutely normal to take materials, make your own God, pray to them, and, you know, act as though they could save you. And I know we read that sometimes. We're like, man, that's just, that's so stupid. That's silly. Why do we, you know, why did they do that? But, you know, really, we're, we're no different. 1 Corinthians 3 says, verse 18, let, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And, you know, I think back to, to school, you know, when I finished college and it was time to do the interview thing and find a job and that type of thing. And I remember, you know, getting some offers in some places that were, you know, nice places to live, Florida, California, things of that nature. And I still remember thinking, man, this is an awesome opportunity. And, you know, so many times we look at the opportunity at face value and we say to ourselves, yeah, this is it. This is what God wants for me. But is it? Are we really seeking? Do we really know that's what God wants? You know, you need to have those people that you can go to who encourage you to stay in the book. You know, Joshua 1, it says, the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. You know, we need an authority of Scripture. See, Josiah had a right view of Scripture. You know, in 1 Chronicles 34, 2, it says he walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. And see, what he had was a proper respect. Verse 19 says, it came to pass when the king had heard the, word, had heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. See, the word of God meant so much to him that it caused him to, you know, to rent his clothes. Now, we don't do that today. But when you sit under the teaching of the preaching of the word of God, do you have a respect for it? Does it matter to you? Do you think it's authoritative? Do you think that God wants you to do what's being said? You know, 2 Peter 1, 16 and 19 says, and I'll go to verse 19. We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well, that ye take heed as into a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts. And, you know, that's really what we need to do. We need to be taking heed to the book. Secondly, he had a right response. It says in verse 31, the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. You know, Paul, writing to the believers in Ephesus, he said to them, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of man, but as in but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh in also in you that believe. And brother and sister, it can only effectually work in you when you have a proper respect and view of it. Psalms 119, says, Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. And lastly, he earned blessings. In verse 33, it says, And Josiah took away all the abominations out of the countries that pertain to the children of Israel, and made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God. And all his days they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. And you know, when we have a proper view of the word of God, we get blessings too. Psalms 1 and 3, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Verse 3, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And that's because, in verse 2, his delight, his delight was in the law of the Lord. And now I'm going to try to wind this down. I know I'm already over a few minutes here. Start immediately. You know, Josiah began to reign over Judah when he was 8 years old. Uh, and he decided to start following the Lord when he was actually 16 years old. And I, want some warning, I have some warnings for you. Don't let your environment define you. You know, we all have family and friends, upbringing, surroundings things to contend with. When you look at Josiah's immediate family tree again, he, wasn't, he didn't come from a heritage of men who loved the Lord. He had Manasseh, who sinned greatly against the Lord, only reigned 55 years. His father, Ammon, was killed after two years. You know, your parents, your friends, your acquaintances, 
You know, they may or may not serve the Lord, but regardless, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to serve the Lord? You know, Romans 14, 12 says, so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. When you stand before the Lord, you'll give an account of your life and what you did and not what someone else did. So we have to choose not to live like our surroundings arise above them. Next, don't let your past discourage you. You know, a crazy thing is Josiah probably offered idols, sacrifices when he was young, and he had to overcome his past. Some of his family members probably had been offered as a sacrifice. Ephesians 2, 2 and 4 says, Where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past. You know, we all have a past. But brother and sister, the Bible says we're, we're sin did abound, grace abounded more. So don't focus on your past. Lastly, don't let that delay you. It said that Josiah started serving the Lord while he was yet young. You know, Josiah takes the throne at eight, at eight years old, but when he was 16, he started serving the Lord. Now, some of you in here are pretty close to 16. And I just want to say to young people, as a side note, one of Satan's biggest lies is it'll be easier for you to serve the Lord when you're older. But that's a lie. Actually, life doesn't slow down. You'll slow down, and it's harder to keep up with life. Uh, habits don't get easier to break the longer you do them. It makes it harder to break. Sins don't become easier to overcome the longer it rules you. It becomes addictive. And some of you, you're like me, you're far removed from 16 years old. But regardless, the point is, don't wait. Use the time and ability you have now to seek after and do whatever it is the Lord would have for you to do for his kingdom glory. You know, I've been saved for almost 25 years. I think this year will be 25 years. Some of that time was well spent serving the Lord, and some of it was an absolute waste. And what I would counsel you is don't get to the end of your life and be full of regrets and, see what, and wonder what you could have done. See, Josiah died when he was 39 years old. If he had waited until he was older or when the time was right, they wouldn't have been able to serve God because God took him. And so God may take you soon. He may take you while you're young. Hope not. You may get old. He may take you. Or the rapture may come. But either way, we're going. So the thing you want to do is come to this conclusion in your own life. The time to seek, turn to, and serve the Lord in holiness and obedience is now. Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Let's pray and close this out. Father, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to, to get into your word, Lord. And even though, Lord, I know I stumbled through that and uh, I went over time. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you bless your word. And, Lord, if people will take these notes and maybe when they're home alone, Lord, they'll go through them and they'll review these things and you'll continue to speak to their heart. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for giving us a wonderful, awesome day, an opportunity to come into your house. Bless us as we leave this place, God. We thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.